Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. Just a reminder that if you enjoy Florida Basketball Hour, uh, please go to Apple and hit us up with a rating or go to Spotify and give us a heart. Um, you can also email us, uh, nwblackman at gmail.com. If you have suggestions or guests you want to hear from, you can also uh, leave suggestions in your Apple review. Uh, we appreciate those. We take them really seriously. And mainly we appreciate you for, for making the first uh, almost a year now of Florida Basketball Hour uh, successful and fun. And we're just really grateful. So we hope you enjoy today's show. Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, what's going on? What's new? Oh, I mean, we're counting down to the season. Um, it's starting to, uh, starting to, yeah, it's season starting to feel close. And uh, for that reason, I'm just, you know, getting some, uh, getting some preview stuff up. And uh, I had one on on Noah Locke that I posted yesterday. If you want to see some uh, some Noah Locke content, he was the first player that I kind of previewed. Um, just looking at, uh, yeah, what he could kind of, uh, uh, what we maybe could expect from him. And, uh, yeah, I'm just super excited. It's starting to feel like uh, the college basketball season is, is within reach. And uh, I also, hey, I just watched the um, – for those of you who maybe haven't seen, he just posted it recently. But, but Trey Mann is doing uh, a bit of a, a, a series on YouTube that follows him around. And he just, uh, he just posted the first video. It's about 20 minutes, and it is uh, very good. So that is all that's going on in, in my world. That's excellent. And you know what? I, I liked the fact that kind of your – Noah Log piece. People go to GatorCountry.com and, and check it out. Uh, subscribe to Gator Country if you want um, a lot of really great coverage from a lot of people, but Eric uh, covering the basketball program. So, um, But it bookended Chris Harry's piece on Noah Lock. Kind of like we talked a lot about on, on this podcast about Trey Mann as like the forgotten stud freshman. And Noah Lock kind of the forgotten of the sophomores. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, Chris's piece is really good. I'm, I'm sure most people have read it because people probably read off Chris's stuff and, and they should. And um, yeah, I, I think that, um, yeah, you just kind of look at, at his season and uh, you look at like who's going to be like affected by all these new pieces and who's going to thrive. And I think that like Noah Locke is just going to thrive just thinking about um, how he'll be able to to get shots off of off of Kerry Blackshear to think about obviously the passing of, of Nemhart and uh, as well as someone like, like Trey Mann who's going to create shots too. And uh, something I don't think people realized uh, as well was how much Noah Locke had to guard small forwards last year. Um, it, when he was out there in the lineups that we saw often with Andrew Nemhart, Kayvon Allen, and Noah Locke, Noah Locke who was taking the other team's small forward. So he had like some pretty tough kind of like bruising assignments on, on the other end of the floor and, uh, yeah, for that reason, I just think this year where he's going to be able to play more at kind of at the more natural shooting guard position, I, I just really think he's going to thrive it. Um, I got into a whole lot of his shooting numbers in this article, and it's just like crazy how many of the numbers are are really good and and just like really promising. And uh, yeah, I could just see him putting up a, a really good amount of points with with not a lot of shots this year as he just gets wide open threes off some of the uh, uh, the more prominent guys. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm excited to see. That's something I'm really excited to see is the uh, the way that Florida's ability to play inside out a little more 
well, not a little more. (laughs) 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 It's like, it's not real well said by me early in the podcast. I'm not, I'm not informed yet. Um, Florida's ability to really go inside out pretty consistently, I think. And, and having, you know, a big that passes as well as Kerry Blackshear, I think really will help Noah Locke. Yeah, I think that if you want to look at like what individual player might benefit the most from uh, from Kerry Blackshear, it might just be Noah Locke because like Noah Locke was shooting a really good percentage last year. Um, as I kind of, you know, even pointed out, I, we've talked about it on this podcast as well as I've written about it was, I mean, he was like a 42% three-point shooter before his injury. And even with his injury, you know, he ended up at like 38%, which is really good. Um, and if you want to go even further, a lot of his attempts were like fairly difficult. Like he shot a decent amount off the dribble. He shot a decent amount that were contested, um, a lot of them from deep. And that was because Florida didn't generate a lot of easy looks for him. But this year he's going to have an e- a lot of easy looks. So, I mean, he, if you want to look at him as like, hey, he was a 38% three-point shooter when injured taking tough shots or, you know, he, he even, you know, 42% taking tough shots when he was healthy, um, it, he might shoot seven or eight three-pointers a game that are going to be of higher quality than last year. So, I mean, if he shoots seven or eight three-pointers a game and, and uh, he gets them open and he's shooting, you know, above 40%, I mean, he's just going to be putting up points without a lot of usage. And that's kind of what you need for players kind of rounding out your, your starting five. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, and um, so everybody check that out. Uh, I Last year, you know, Eric's pieces on – on various players, I thought were you know really exceptional and and they're a good way to get to know you know where players can develop, how they can how they can be better in the in the following season and and with Noah to some extent, I think Eric already alluded to just being able to defend. Um, <laughs> I don't want to say people his own size, but <laughs> being able to positionally defend a little better, um, a little more frequently. Uh, should help him defensively. Um, he's also going to have some sort of an athleticism deficiency against really outstanding athletes, but uh, it's just kind of – that's his makeup. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, when you talk about if he can stay healthy, somebody that could really put up great numbers uh, considering what he was able to do in a more limited offense. So exciting times for Noah Locke, I think, and definitely somebody taking on a big leadership role. Yeah, the leadership thing was obviously something that um, that Chris Harry touched on, uh, more than touched on, uh, went into in his article, and and I thought he, uh, yeah, he showed it really well, and that's something that uh, it was kind of made known at the end of last year that Andrew Nemhard and Noah Locke were were the leaders, and um, the stuff that you know Chris Harry's been able to put on Twitter as well as his stories, just about kind of the specifics. Like I thought it was really cool how Chris Harry like. Um, was able to see say like, hey, this is exactly what what uh, what Noah Locke said, and to be able to to put some of that on paper was, was super cool to read. And um, you know, it's you don't always you know leadership is thrown around a lot. It's tough to quantify, and um, just to be able to to see to hear the scenario that that Chris Harry laid out uh, in that practice situation, it was just really cool. So if anyone hasn't read that, they they definitely should. But uh, the, the leadership bump is going to be something that's also, yeah, obviously not going to show up in the, the, the stat sheet, but it might show up with a, you know, really high seed at a deep tournament run. Um, so from, from Noah Locke player on the roster to player added to the roster, uh, as expected, um, at least as expected on Florida basketball hour, um, Florida adds commitment, Niels Lane, um, the, 
wing, 6'5 wing, 6'6 wing from Russell Catholic in New Jersey, storied basketball program. Um, commits to the Gators on the 8th of October, a couple days. We're recording on the 10th. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a big-time get for, for Mike White and the staff that they keep, they keep getting pretty much what they want on the trail. Yeah, I just was kind of thinking, like like you were saying, uh, like Niels Lane was someone who, uh, like you said, you know, we were confident we were going to get him, but, uh, you know, that wasn't really a hot take. I mean, you look, I think he had like 100% on 24-7. Um, it, it, and it just had me thinking, like, when was the last time has like when was the last time Florida, like, missed on a recruit that they, like, we really thought they were going to get? Like, it just seems like they get their eyes on someone and they go get them. It just doesn't seem like they've they like they missed much. So that's something that I think is really cool. And especially someone who's, um, who's out of state and uh, yeah, you know, who we're going to have to have on actually to talk Niels Lane is, uh, is Jake Winderman because he'll send me a message that, uh, you know, uh, Niels Lane doesn't play too far from where he lives. So he says he's going to be out uh, to watch him play a few times. So we'll have to have him back on the pod. Yeah, no, we should definitely get uh, Jake back on and, and he could talk to us about Lane's game a bit, which um, I think is growing offensively you know is that fair to say yeah I mean like I'll be honest I definitely don't I, I you know I try to try not to speak about things that I'm not an expert on and uh, I've, I've seen him a bit found a couple of his games online I, I wouldn't say I've caught a ton of Niels Lane so I, I am relying a little bit on you know a small sample size of what I saw mostly it was at Peach Jam um, but uh, I would say there's people who are higher on his upside offensively than than I am based on what I've seen. So there's definitely people that out there that are believers that he can be, um, you know, a big time score. Uh, I would say from what I've seen, he's going to be a big time defender and, um, and a solid score. Um, someone who, when his feet are set, can be a good shooter and uh, can also uh, drive when, uh, you know, attack a closeout and drive. But I, I mean, we've kind of also seen from Keontae Johnson that that's all you really need. If you can attack a closeout and you can hit a, catch and shoot three, you can be an effective offensive player. But uh, like you mentioned too, uh, I mean, he's listed at six foot five, but a lot of people who've watched him play recently have said six, six, or some say six, seven, but I'm going to take the, uh, you know, take the highest one off the board and say like, Hey, maybe he's six, six. And, um, it, you know, friend of the podcast, Malik Grady, who's uh, definitely a, a wingspan truther. Uh, he is, he just is the guy that always seems to be able to <laughs> dig up people's wingspans. And he found a 2018 article where he had a 6'11 wingspan. So, uh, I mean, you watch him play, he looks that long. So uh, definitely someone with plus size. So, uh, you know, you play him at the two, that's a real long two. He's got the size to play a three. And that's uh, versatility the roster kind of needs and what has been prioritized clearly. Yeah, I think he's – what I've seen of him is that I see a player who could be a devastating offensive rebounder in particular um, because of his length and because of his athleticism and quickness. Uh, you know, he's going to be a guy that that doesn't have to necessarily be in great position to get those sort of tap out, you know, plays that the offensive, the really good offensive rebounders are professionals at. Um, I think he can defend all three levels because of his length also, which, uh, you know, I mean, really, this, this again, and this is something that Eric and I harped on even evaluating the current team is that they are still kind of short on wings, right? Like, yeah, Trey Mann grew, but, you know, Scotty Lewis was – not only was Scotty Lewis huge from an optics standpoint, oh, look at that program, look at who look at who they can bring in, but it was also huge 
from a Ross perspective because anytime you would add a Scotty Lewis, it would be big, but because of the position he played, it was like doubly big. Um, and so Florida's corrected that problem in like five months, which is amazing. Uh, you know, they're going to have a lot of length, aren't they, Eric? And, and this is a guy who, you know, I think he can bang with, with a four after some time with Preston green, and then he can get out on your best perimeter score. So impact right away is going to be on the defensive side. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, listed as a shooting guard. So you can just think about, Hey, let's talk the future. If you've got, um, percent seven to three at six foot seven, and then you have, you know, Niels lane at six or five, six foot six at the, at the two, or I mean, you, you invert those two because lane is longer. I mean, those are two guys with great size that could, uh, could really play together. So, uh, I once again, I just do think it's very clear that the the Ross Erskine and Mike White has really prioritized length on the wings and, and just you know getting more wings. And I just I think that's a very a very smart direction to go. Very uh, very intelligent re- relative to yeah. You just look at the teams that have had success recently in college basketball, and uh, it's it's teams that are wing heavy. And uh, for that reason, yeah, keep <laughs> keep going and get them. Yeah, and I think if you get Keontae back for a junior year, you know, it's so far away, it's hard to say, you know, how that shakes out, right, Eric? But but I think uh, Florida really could press a lot in a year from now, which, you know, is something that Mike White liked to do a lot at Louisiana Tech. He, he did, certainly did, uh, if you look at some of the numbers, um, he that the elite eight team pressed quite a bit. So Florida, Florida would have an opportunity to do that again, which hasn't really been a program staple the last couple of seasons. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. Um, just to, I mean, tease an article I'm working on is so like Florida's <laughs> got Florida has final four aspirations. It's very clear. Um, something that I reference in a lot of my, you know, whether it be uh, the piece I did recently about how much bench usage or um, a piece I did about tempo. And what I often do is, hey, let's look at the final four teams of recent history and um, see if there's any trends. And uh, you know what? You don't see a lot of teams in the final four that are pressing. You don't see a lot of teams in the Elite Eight that are pressing. I mean, the last one I can think about that was really like a high, high level program that used the press was like some of uh, Patino's Louisville Cardinal teams um, a few years ago. Um, I mean, you, you know, there's some high profile ones like, uh, like a West Virginia, but not a team that's kind of perennially pressing or sorry, a team that's pressing all the time, not perennially, you know, hunting for final fours or, uh, didn't really make it make deep runs with those kind of teams. So, uh, that is interesting because, uh, the, the chance to press, um, sounds really cool for sure. And I, I think it could do some really good things in conference and in, uh, in non-conference for sure early in the season before teams have a lot of, uh, a lot of chemistry and press breaks worked out, but um, yeah, whether, uh, whether they, you know, really make it a mainstay where they do it 25% of the time or more, uh, I'm not so sure. Yeah. I mean, look, West Virginia made two consecutive sweet 16s with, with one of the statistically most effective presses in the history of the sport. Um, but they couldn't get over the sweet 16 hump uh, in 2017 and 2018. Uh, but that's kind of it, – it's interesting. Like, and, we'll, you know, it's so far away. It's just so hard to predict. Like, you don't know what grad transfers are coming in. We're going to get to roster composition even more in a second. Um, you really don't know enough about what Florida will look like in 2020, 2021 to kind of say. 
But to me, it would make some sense if they did press a little more because you're my guess is that you're not going to be as effective a team scoring. So, you know, can you create transition baskets? And with a Mike White program, I think it's always going to be our culture is built on defense. And we don't use that kind of like buzzword very much on this podcast. It's not, but, but, but it's true. I mean, like Florida, that's not, when you talk about things that are non-negotiable Florida basketball, like you will play defense or you will transfer. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. And, and I mean, something that I think that uh, that the Lakes will really help with is like, once again, it's something that Florida had some really good success with is playing that one, three, one in the half court where they really extended it and, and trapped. And they did that without a ton of length. So, I mean, you add a lot more length and you can do s- some things there. Like um, uh, some teams have had a lot of success recently watching uh, watching last year. I mean, just to see some of the trends, like like a two, three zone where you trap on the wings is something I saw a lot more last year than you know, maybe it's been happening and I just missed it, but it was something I noticed. So uh, kind of generating turnovers in the half court, I think is something that you've uh, seen kind of uh, good teams have a little bit more success with, um, you know, versus the more traditional, Hey, let's um, let's press 94 feet and, and get steals right. that way. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, Hey, like length helps you on defense, no matter how you want to play it. Even if they go, even if they decide they want to do the, the opposite thing and sit back in a pack line. I mean, length's going to help. It's, length is great for defense. Yeah, and I mean, look, Florida likes to to have the versatility to to do things like switch to their thirteen defense in the NCAA tournament when things are getting dicey. So, <laughs> um, you know, a player like Lane is certainly going to do that. I'm with Eric on his jump shot. From what I can tell, I wouldn't say it's bad. I no. Um, like it doesn't look bad when he shoots it at Florida has recruited players where I've been more concerned <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> about, he... about their ability to shoot. I, I just think like he appears to prefer to put the ball down and go with the hoop. Yeah. I think uh, well, once again, for me, when I look at like high school players and evaluate them as jump shooters, uh, I mean, to, to watch them knocking down once again, like their feet are set, catch and shoot jump shots that, you know, that's kind of the easiest shot you have in basketball. And yes, there's something to be said if you're, you know, shooting those at a ridiculous percent, but shooting that at, at an average percent. I mean, if you're really going to look like something I look for um, to see if shooters are going to be better at the next level, whether it's high school players to college or college to the NBA is uh, just be able to shoot off movement or to be able to, um, to sprint into a shot, like, to be able to run off a screen, then stop, get your feet set and, and, and catch and shoot. Um, I just, you know, I see Niels Lane and, and the, what I was able to see in the games I watched where, yeah, like if he, um, the ball was moving and gets swung to him and he's, his feet are set and he's got a decent looking jump shot and, and he hit them at a decent percent, but I wouldn't say he's someone that's, um, that I would call a plus shooter. I maybe like, maybe he's average and that's okay. Cause that's not an super important part of his game. But like you said, uh, he can put it on the deck and that is an important part of his game. And with that length and, and the power, he's, you know, even at, at Peach Jam, he was dunking on a few people. And, I mean, that was good competition at Peach Jam, obviously. And uh, someone who was, you know, showed some creativity finishing. And I think that's important, too, because something that uh, we talked about lots in the podcast kind of last year or last season was how Florida didn't have a lot of guys that could put the ball in the deck and, and finish when they got to the rim. And, and Niels Lane is a guy you can finish when he gets there. So that'll be a, that'll be a very welcome sight. Yeah. Um, he was on, uh, the Russell Catholic team that, that got, uh, 
beat pretty bad by by Scotty Lewis and uh, last year, mostly because I think I think uh, Scotty Lewis shut down Khalil Whitney, which is a matchup everybody will get to see here in a few months. Um, but yeah, it was like Whitney's worst game of his career, of his high school career. He had like three points, it was like one of twelve from the field, uh, and Lewis was ten. Uh, 10 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. Uh, it's also a weird game because a highly touted player, Josh Pierre-Louis, got hurt. So there's all sorts of stuff going on in that game. But I bring up Lane because, you know, Russell made a little bit of a run, and, and the main reason that they did was because Lane hit three three-pointers. So Okay. Um, he, can, like, he can knock down shots. It's just, you know, like, <laughs> like Eric said, some some of the like shooting stuff is hard to figure out until you get to college, unless it's like just super pure, like a Noah Lock. Yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons that uh, we don't need to pivot to this too much. But that's one of the reasons that I am pretty high on Quetz Glover as a shooter, um, was because he's someone who knocked out shots at a good percentage and he did it off movement. I mean, if you can hit shots off movement, you can hit them when your feet are you know still. So uh, that's yeah. So quick tidbit. That's why I I, I think Quetz Glover is for real as a shooter and. Um, uh, for yeah, that's why I just like need to see a little more with Niels Lane. But like I said, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to not trying to be negative about the guy. I don't think that uh, shooting is a pivotal part of his game, and he contributes everywhere else. I mean, um, if he's able to shoot a jumper, um, then he's just a really good. I mean, there, I think there's a little bit of a reason that like some some kind of recruiting services um, had him out just outside of the top 100, and some had him you know 50, 60. Um, it, it, I would say it's probably just a matter of who saw him hit jump shots and who saw him miss jump shots because I think everything else is there. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Oh, um, so- I have to make one note. <laughs> You're going to love this. Okay, Go going, back, going back to Trey Manns, um, I'm just going to spoil this because I, I burst out laughing. Um, so, the, so one of the storylines for this first episode of Trey Manns' YouTube show is kind of his him going from being unranked in his uh, 10th grade year to, you know, obviously to where he is now. And uh, so he wasn't ranked for quite some time. And then there's this, he tells this story where uh, he goes from like, you know, he plays this game and then his dad comes and is like, Hey, you know, um, you're ranked, but, uh, and, and he's like, Oh, is it by, is it by ESPN? And he's like, no, nah, it's not by ESPN. Um, they're like, yeah, it's 24 seven. Um, they've got you 60. And then he was just like, Oh shoot. Like it wasn't ESPN. And I just burst out laughing because um you know, like we talk about, we think ESPN is <laughs> probably the worst of the scouting services, but it did not matter to him that ESP, that 24-7 had him, uh, had him 60 if he wanted the ESPN one. So it's just uh, interesting to see people's different perspectives. But I thought you'd find that funny. That's pretty funny. Um, less funny on the Florida front is, uh, you know, the, the continuing drama of P.J. Hall. I think that, and, and I think Eric and I, have kind of come to agreement on this, but I think what's happened is that Florida has, has, uh, that, that, that it might be a mutual parting of ways here. Yeah. I mean, uh, kind of the perception and I would say the, the word we've gotten is that they're just not looking to take any more, any more players here in the spring. Um, which is also actually really interesting because in the uh, fall, in the fall, sorry. in the fall, in the fall, my bad. Thank you for stopping me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, just because I mean, I, I think that, that there's some people out there who are big DeAndre Ballard fans. Um, Michael Ocaro had big fans. Uh, Keith Stone had a lot of big fans and Isaiah Stokes somehow had big fans. And there's a lot of people who thought that, um, you know, Mike White kicked them to the curb and pushed them out. And 
um, you know, it was kind of a one-sided thing. And, and Mike and, you know, people who don't like Mike White said that he just booted them out the door. And uh, it's just kind of interesting to see um, fast forward to this year. And they don't want to take more than three scholarships here in the fall uh, because, you know, if he was really someone who would just kick people out no matter what, um, he, you know, he'd take four or five scholarships and then boot people at the end of the year. So I think this is an interesting note um, for people who, uh, are not Mike White fans, though I'm not sure how many of those kind of people listen to this podcast. Um, clearly, he's not someone who just kicks out people who want to be within, in the program. Um, because if so, he'd probably take a few more scholarships right now. So, uh, But yeah, like you said, might be a mutual parting of ways. I mean, yeah, if, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting because PJ Hall was someone who said multiple times in the summer uh, or last spring, that he wanted to make a decision before his senior year of high school started. And that clearly hasn't happened. But at the same time, I would say, Hey, he's, you know, he wanted to get this done before school started. So he's still trying to make his decision somewhat soon. And uh, you know, Florida is at a position where, you know, if PJ Hall wants to come to Florida, he's probably going to have to wait until later in the spring and whether or not he wants to do that, maybe not. And for that reason, um, yeah, one of the players that's been a top target on Florida's board for quite some time that, uh, yeah, it might not be meant to be. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think um, some of this and one real quick correction on, uh, so the, the three pointers I saw from lane against the Scotty Lewis team were AAU games. And um, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I guess lane has just transferred to Rizzo Catholic where he'll replace Josh Pierre-Louis, who's a very highly touted point guard that Roselle Catholic had that's going to Temple. Um, and Temple kept his scholarship despite what was a pretty gruesome-looking injury at the end of last season. Um, so, yeah, this will be Lane's first season with Roselle, which I actually didn't know until I fact-checked myself. Um, but Lane is a guy who who can make three-point shots. Uh, you know, it's so it's not like – they're taking a, a six six guy who doesn't have a perimeter jump shot. That's not at all the case. And I fact, I would imagine Eric that he wouldn't be a, a top one hundred player if he didn't. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so sorry about that. But as far as uh, Hall, yeah, I mean, I think Eric touched on all the the main points. Um, I think that look, this staff clearly prioritized Hall. They recruited him hard. He spent a lot of time on Florida's campus. At the visit, there's, you know, stories about the whole staff going to watch volleyball games with him. I mean, they pressed him for a commitment for a long time. And the more I've thought about this, um, because I don't want to get into too much of a discussion about my, you know, thoughts on Hall versus the Osaya Sifu commitment. I don't think that's fair to to either young man. But but what I would say is I do think that Florida's staff – is now a little bit leery of getting in a position where they miss on someone and there's a big hole in the roster. Um, and so, you know, I think that some of the lessons that they learned as, as a young staff that they're still learning, I, I would imagine that they probably played somewhat of a role. Like I doubt this was totally a situation where the staff was like, well, we just like seafood better. Yeah. I, 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 I wonder, I mean, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing to think about. I'm not, I'm not, you know, and I don't want to be like, and I'm sorry, Eric, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I I don't want to, I don't want it to be like, Hey, Neil has a hot take. I'm trying as hard as I can not to offer a hot take. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Um, my take is that these things are complicated. We're not in the building 
And I am sure what I am confident of, I shouldn't say sure. What I'm confident of is that if PJ Hall had committed, he'd be here. It's not like they'd be like, oh, we're cutting you loose. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's why it's hard for me not to compare how the staff might view the two in comparison. I said that poorly, but what I'm saying is, you know, Hall did not commit um, an offer went out and they took a commitment fairly quickly. It was, there was not a super long commitment of Osifo and, um, and it. the other question is um, if Hall did commit, do you think that they're offering and Osifo is committing? I don't think that happens. So for that reason, it's a little hard to like, right. It's a little hard to differentiate the two, though. I totally understand why you're, you know, being a more mature person about it than I am <laughs> thinking about it. But uh, yeah, I, I, the other, the other reason too is, um, uh, you know, you look at, uh, you look at Twitter and you look at the, uh, the forums and there's a lot of people that are like, Oh, well, you know what? Osifo is going to be better than Hall in, in 2020. So that's why they took him. And um, that's why it's like uh, a little bit on my mind and don't have to get into uh, that. I suppose, like you said, that's no, why. we should. So, Cause it's but, our, it's our show and we're not, and, and you know what? And we're not, we're not like contrary to some rumors. We're not just shills for the staff. Like, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, anybody that listen, go back and listen to the, the episode after the Georgia game or the episode after the South Carolina home loss and tell me that I'm a show for the staff um, or tell, or tell me that Eric is a show for the staff, especially after the Georgia loss where I think it's about as heated as Eric gets, um, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, PJ Hall's just a better player. Yeah. There's uh, that's not a hot take either. He's just better. Um, but I think, I guess what I'm saying is I think some of it is informed by how many times did, does PJ Hall have to come to the school and be on the campus to not know? Yeah. I mean, here, like I, I was going to throw this out as a question to you, but I know what your answer is going to be. I was going to say like, what are the <laughs> chances that Florida ever enters a season with an open scholarship? And I would say like there's zero because um, white, they has don't bare- do that. yeah, they don't do that. And um, it's just, yeah, very clear that they're not going to get, you know, left out in the rain without an umbrella. Like they're going to make sure that they, you know, have guys that are, you know, they're going to have 13 scholarships and they're going to have guys that can kind of, uh, yeah, that, that are going to contribute to some level. And um, yeah. So I, I know a lot of people as well are looking at the, uh, you know, the Devin Dotson um, situation where, yeah, he just, you know, wasn't going to commit to Florida and he, would, he just kind of wasn't going to make his decision and Florida finally moved on. And it seems like maybe there's a bit of an element of that, but uh, Hey, if, if PJ Hall wants to kind of wait until the spring and see how things, see how the chips fall. Um, yeah, potentially they should do it. Right. And, and that's what I would say to kind of put a bow on Hall is that, you know, if he wants to be a Gator, if he wakes up in November when he had now pushed back his commitment time and says, you know what, I don't want to play for Brad Burnell because I don't want to go to the NIT three years in a row. <laughs> and I don't want to play for Virginia Tech. Um, Georgia Tech for, is another team for, for whatever reason. Georgia Tech you know, fans. I, are I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna go to Virginia Tech, but I don't want to play for Virginia Tech for whatever reason, and I don't want to play at Georgia Tech because I'm gonna be on probation. Um, like you know, if that's what he decides, and I don't want to go to Tennessee because I don't want to get booed at Florida forever. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, he Florida's probably Eric and I are pretty confident they're gonna have a spot in the spring. I, I, if, 
if it's only three that they take now, which we're going to get to that last thing in a second. Yeah, I mean, for, first of all, I guess my final comment on this. Well, one, if he goes to an SEC school, do not boo him. Um, I know there's some people who are like, Agree. hey, if he doesn't commit to the Gators right away, then he's not a Gator. And, you know, he's, he's a he's great Gator kid, based. too. He's a great kid. And his parents are great. And I will tell you this, like, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm five foot ten and my wife's <laughs> five four and we're probably not going to one day have a division one <laughs> athlete in any sport, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if I do have someone who is an SEC caliber player and he is going through his recruitment, um, it's going to look a whole lot like PJ Hall's recruitment where he goes on as many unofficial visits as possible and as many visits as possible. Yes. And is as thorough as possible. Um, so I know like there are some people who are like saying like, Hey, if he hasn't committed to the Gators, he's not a Gator. Cause he, you know, if he's not a hundred percent in instantly, then we don't want him. And that is not at all the mindset I have. So, I, I, so that, yeah, like, like you were saying, like, I know you were saying it totally jokingly, but if he go, does go <laughs> to another school and they happen to ever play in the O-Dome, no matter whatever, um, there probably are some people who are going to want to boom and just don't. <laughs> so, um, I don't even remember what my other take was going to be at my other point, but, uh, no, I mean, I think, um, I think that's, that's oh, the most actually, important one is right there. Sorry. My, I do my other point, um, talking about the schools that are currently in his like kind of final schools, the schools that he's been visiting, like, I don't think Clemson's going to be full Georgia tech. He will not go there. Um, uh, Virginia tech, they, they won't be full. So I, I mean, I think the schools that he is looking at seriously, it, it's not like they're going to have the ultimatum of you've got to kind of commit now. So, um, if he if he wants to decide late, I mean, I still think all the same options he has now are going to be available for him in the spring. So um, for that reason, Florida still definitely could have a, a good shot here. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with that. Um, you know, I think – and so the, the last – I guess really the last, like, ball on the table, you know, if you think of a pool table, the last billiard ball, I guess, is, is Kate Cunningham and Moses Moody. Because at least people that I trust, you know, in, in the building have said, those are the guys where there's scholarships. So it's interesting. Like, apparently, maybe there's not one for PJ to commit this fall. But there is one for Moses Moody. There is one for Cade Cunningham. Uh, you, I, we've talked about Moody a lot on this show. I don't really think we need to rehash what's going on there. But I do think... He just visited Kansas. We do – we should talk about Cade Cunningham just because, I guess, uh, he's canceled his USA trip and is going to go to uh, Midnight Madness this weekend um, in Lexington. And I would note, by the way, that Cade Cunningham's world tour has coincided with night games at SEC stadiums. <laughs> that's a good point eh? <laughs> or big football games that is not all night games <laughs> yeah no kidding he hey, there luckily turned out to be a pretty good one for him to be at uh in Gainesville and so North Carolina so not just the SEC either because he went to North Carolina Clemson <laughs> I thought he might be leading into a, a, a you know he like you said about his world tour getting to take in some of these midnight madness type things that uh at uh, Kentucky and uh, North Carolina. So I thought you might have yeah. a take about Florida and maybe uh, getting back to doing that, which would be awesome. Um, yeah. But I, you know, once again, I think um, 
with Cade Cunningham, I think that he kind of said in his USA Today thing that he was probably going to make his announcements in late November. Whether or not that means he's waiting to make it, you know, who knows when he has his decision made up. Uh, could be now, and uh, he's just kind of <laughs> going through these uh, these trips, which would no doubt be fun. But uh, yeah, I, I do think that I, I do think that you know there's optimism in Florida's camp here, and and I think that uh, uh, I think that um, one thing that I thought was really interesting, and, and a manager said this to me, and I don't know if I will say his name, but so I you know I think he might be listening, so uh, you know who you are, and if you wanted me to shout you out. I'll get you next time. But he just said that um, the, the relationship, you know, you always hear that like a player is um, friends with another, with a recruit. Uh, you hear that all the time, but he said that like Omar Payne and Cade Cunningham's friendship is like far and away the tightest actual friendship he's seen between a recruit and uh, you know, a current player. And that, um, that can mean something because you know, Omar Payne's going to be someone who's going to be around to, to play with. And um, I, I do think too, like, you know, like we t- talked about a whole lot. I mean, Oklahoma state, the leader here is, uh, does he really want to go kind of play with that caliber of, of, of guy? And uh, it'll, it, it'll be interesting, but I, I do think Florida's, you know, got a, got a puncher's chance here. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I would say, I would say puncher's chance is a pretty fair way to, to <laughs> characterize Florida's chances with both Moody and, and Cunningham. So that's kind of where recruiting is. You know, I would really say two targets. I think PJ Hall, like we've, we've covered it. If he goes to Florida, it'll be in the spring. We wanted to move on to, to some silly season, talking season stuff. Just a lot of national articles. Obviously, the Gators are, are in the news, um, in the preseason hype news a lot because they're going to be good, we think. Um, and so we want to just kind of touch on some pieces. The first one I'm going to hit Eric up with is uh, CBS. Kyle Boone at CBS just ranked the 10 best – his list of the 10 best point guards in America and uh, somewhat disrespectful to, to our boy, Andrew Nimard, who he ranks ninth. And it was interesting, Eric, that he, some of the players he ranked ahead of him, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, the first thing I'm looking at is, uh, <laughs> is Tyrese Halliburton, who is the third best point guard, according to Boone. And I mean, like, I guess, like, I mean, here's the thing is I, I, I don't want to sound rude. I just think that so many people are just like, look in the mod in 2019, just look at like someone's three point shooting numbers. And then that's, and then look at their kind of like, Oh, this person's fun to watch and can shoot the three. Um, they're really good. So Tyrese Halliburton was a 43% three point shooter. Um, so he points to that. Um, and then I'm sure that's why Andrew Nemhart was not as sexy of a player. But one thing I find hilarious with Tyrese Halliburton is he, he points out that he had the best, um, assist, to turn, assist to turnover ratio of returning point cards, but he only had 3.6 assists. So it's like, great, you have a good assist to turnover ratio with 3.6 assists per game, which is obviously much lower than someone like Andrew Nemhart. So I thought that was like quite funny. Um, and once again, just like a very, like a misuse of stats. Um, you know, like uh, even like Marcus Howard, he had it five. I would have had him higher, but um, uh, yeah, I just think, and then Nico Mannion, the, our, our recruit, I think, is just, like, quite overrated. Um, he's going to Arizona. Something I also think that's funny about him is, so, like, his final, like, five schools that he out, had, out, like, a long time ago was, like, Arizona, um, Arizona State, Marquette, um, Duke, and then, oh, what was another one? He had another, like, oh, and then Villanova. And then he put out his final two schools, and Duke and Villanova had both been eliminated. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder who eliminates Duke and 
Villanova from their final schools to put Marquette in his final schools with all due respect to Marquette. And it's, so to me, it's very clear that the top schools backed off him and didn't think he's that good. And I just do not think he's as athletic as people think. I don't think he's as good of a shooter as people think really good player. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, he's like, you know, he's like, will he be in the all American mix like hype? And I just think that's ridiculous. So anyways, a lot of the players ahead of Andrew Nemhart, I think a little bit disrespectful. Yeah. The one you didn't mention that, and you might've just skipped over him because, but like he had, you know, Kyra Lewis in the honorable mentions and Trey Jones at four. And I just thought that was so silly. <laughs> like, like I like the way Trey Jones plays defense, but he averaged like five assists a game on one of the most efficient offenses in history last year. Um, in the, like the history of the sport, um, you know, like I don't really, I just didn't understand. Uh, and like a lot of the games that Duke played, it was like, would the good Trey Jones show up or the bad one? And if it was the bad one, they were probably in a lot of trouble. I mean, that was pretty much all their season until February or so. There's just not a planet where he's better than Andrew Nimhart. There's not one. No, well, the, here's the thing is, uh, like, I don't think Duke is as good as they normally are. Um, I don't think they're as good as people think. And I think the benefactor of that has been people are like, well, Duke has to be a top four team because it's Duke. They have to be a top three team. Um, and then they look up and down the roster and they're like, oh, I'm actually like not really sure who the best player on this team is. Oh, well, I guess it's Trey Jones, the returning point guard. So, oh, so Trey Jones is, is the best player on a top three team. He's the best point guard in college basketball. And I'm like, wow, that is some logic gymnastics. But I just keep seeing that he is like, is he that, you know, right like around is like, oh, he's almost as good as Cassius Winston, who, you know, he's the number one player on, um, on Boone's list, which is, you know, what everyone has. And that's totally fair. Um, yeah, I, right. I, so yeah, I do think he's the best, but I think a lot of people are just like, Oh, is, is Trey Jones in that mix? And it's like, no, no, he's not. Um, so yeah, I do think the Trey Jones hype, um, is pretty foolish. And, and it's just funny. If you look at a lot of like these preview things that have Trey or that have Jones in like the, um, kind of the, uh, either, you know, best point guard or all American or, um, ACC player of the year, all these lists, a lot of it is like, he's going to be the best player on Duke. And it's just like, well, just like normally yes that would make you a contender for those things but this year is different so yeah i i don't think trey jones is 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 that good yeah i mean look trey hit trey hit a bunch of threes in this i mean i remember him hitting a bunch of threes in the sweet 16 game which is i'm sure carrie blackshear remembers that too so um (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of the reason that they they went to the elite eight but i also remember trey jones getting worked repeatedly in the second round right the ucf game (laughs) so so i think there's that but my favorite Trey Jones stat that I uh, shouts to to Rob Duster for pulling this one up, but um, he did set the Duke record with a three six two to one assist to turnover ratio. But um, I guess Rob did like the deep weeds dive into that a little more, and it was one point eight to one in conference play mm. and seven to one out of conference. Now Duke plays a tough schedule, but it's really fascinating to me that like in the ACC wars, like one eight to one isn't bad. Don't get me wrong; it's just not. You know, right. Well, and like, once again, like he's someone who really struggled to shoot the ball and um, just what I actually, I mean, like, here's a, something that's, um, uh, they, yeah, you can see with the, uh, with Ken Palm is they kind of like, they have like a tier um, of like the best team. So they call it tier a, and then like the next tier and, and, and a B. And I mean, you look at the numbers and it's like, um, oh yeah, like against these like really good teams, he was shooting 24% from the three point line and he shot 21% from three and, uh, and and once again, I mean, it's 
it's just interesting how people pick and choose. I mean, some of the players that on, on, right. on his list are just like, oh, look at the way they shoot the three ball. So they're the best guards ever, no matter the other skills. And then you see Trey Jones, it's like really struggles to score and really struggles to shoot. And then it's like, oh, um, you know, like it, it just gets passed over. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, Trey Jones is someone who really struggled, shot 43% from the field and 20, 24% against the, from three against the best teams um, that he played. And uh, yeah, while he's a solid passer, um, you know, I, I guess I could throw it to Zion Williamson and trans- transition a few times to get some assists too. So uh, that sounds like, you know, I, I, I'm really ragging on Trey Jones. I do think he's a really good player. I no, he's, a, he's a really good player. He's just not as good as Andrew Nimmar. Yeah, he's one of the, Trey Jones is an example <laughs> of one of those players that I just like, if you plopped him on um, some like meddling outside of the tournament picture power five team, I don't think he's really elevating them very much where I do think if you put like, if you just took Trey Jones and, and put him on Clemson, I don't think that it like really moves the needle that much. I think you put Andrew Nemhard on, on any team. Um, he's making them better as he did with Florida last year. So yeah, I, I, yeah, a little disrespectful from Boone. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. So um, another one, another interesting one was, the biggest problems for every top 25 team, uh, John Gasway piece, it's at ESPN plus. So there's a paywall. Um, some interesting ones like Kentucky's, you can guess it's the same thing every year, perimeter scoring. <laughs> um, and it says freshman Johnny's who's Angus being touted. as the next Tyler hero bearing in mind at this time, a, a year ago, a few observers expected hero to be a one and done lottery pick. If Chu Zhang does indeed keep opposing defenses honest, it will give Kentucky a welcome degree of spacing. However, he was a 39% three-point shooter in high school. So perimeter scoring may be a problem. The only player on the entire roster that has made one three-pointer per game in a collegiate season is Nate Sestina. Yeah, I, I really like Sestina or Sestina. Yeah, I think he's going to be uh, he's good. He's going to be really good for them, and I think it's going to fit. So, um that is a player to watch out for. And I, I could very well see him being one of the most impactful players on the team, but uh, yeah, it just showed, but, but once again, um, like you were saying about how they might have some kind of struggle scoring from the perimeter. Um, Cessna is a good shooter from the perimeter and can actually, you know, make some moves off there against kind of some slower big men. Um, but it's not like he's going to, you know, bring the ball up the floor and start initiating sets. So uh, yeah, it, I, I, as usual, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see what, uh, what Kentucky has just because um, with so much changing, pieces all the time it's uh to see what they bring is is always kind of interesting so i there'll be a team that i'm i'm looking forward to seeing other other teams on florida's schedule that they talk about weaknesses by the way if anybody was interested um florida's problem was expectations which i feel like is a good problem to have yeah i think that's just like the highest honor you know that's like that's quite a compliment quite frankly it's like uh, when it's like, oh, you've got so many tools that I don't know what to actually say from a basketball standpoint. So I'm going to say something like chemistry or expectations. <laughs> like, I honestly think it's just like a, a compliment. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, something we've talked about, I, I would say Florida's biggest, you know, if you were to say um, weakness, I would just say wing depth. I think that would be a fair thing to say. Um, but I think that, yeah, something that if, if someone's going to, you know, if someone really looked at Florida and said, I think that their biggest weakness is going to be expectations. I mean, that's, that's like a, like, Oh, what's your biggest weakness? Like, Oh, I work too hard and, and care too much. That's the equivalent of, <laughs> of, of saying that Florida's biggest weakness is, uh, is expectations. So yeah, quite a nice, uh, quite a nice compliment. I'll say to Florida there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so some of the other, some of the other ones quickly for the, Teams on Florida's schedule in the top 25. LSU, 
problem the NCAA at the hotel across the street. Um, <laughs> in theory, a team with veterans like Javante Smart, Skylar Mays, Marlon Taylor, and Emmett Williams, and a dominant freshman like Trenton Watford is a top 20 type team. In practice, the only thing more detrimental might be the fact that the NCAA can walk in the door at any moment. <laughs> that seems right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I, I actually do kind of, I, I do like the uh, the LSU kind of roster. Yeah, well, that's actually, a compliment I think too. Right? So I was like... going to say that actually is a little bit of a compliment too. Um, so yeah, that, but it is funny for sure. Um, Utah State number nineteen. People are like forgetting that Florida just decided they'd schedule this top twenty Utah State team on a neutral floor yeah. <laughs> as like. Like when we Eric and I talked about it, we said basically it's a second round game and it, like it's really smart scheduling. Um, but yeah, so their problem is uh, timing and bench. It says Utah State had a chance to record its first NCAA tournament win in 18 years last March. They predict, they picked that particular game to play their worst game of the season. This is true from an efficiency standpoint, and they lost 78-61 to Washington. Utah State did not show its best. Some of that is related to a six-man rotation, which they have to expand if they're to compete with the best teams. That's a, that's an interesting comment. Um, for the sake of uh, just a sec, I need to. Uh, I, I feel mean, like so look they at the numbers and determine well, whether or not it was really six. I mean, so Florida was 143rd in bench minutes, and Utah State was 173rd. And, okay. Uh, to, and the other thing is. So, so last year they, you know, didn't use their bench um, a ton, but uh, not, you know, not as little as people thought, um, as was the case with Florida. Um, but to say that's a weakness moving forward is also funny because, I mean, they had one senior on – or sorry, they had two seniors. I, I think two seniors on their roster last year. Yeah. So no, they're, they're bringing, they're they're bringing everyone back. So – They're good. Yeah, anyways, I, I, I think that that was – not yeah i i would say but yeah i i don't know if i agree with that one particularly and i don't think that uh but but i think that like what he even could have said is like hey sam merrill is awesome and um <laughs> they don't have you know and he's just kind of like a, a large part so maybe he more meant like well i guess actually you read his description and he didn't go into this um if you wanted to say that depth was an issue i would have said hey sam merrill is is awesome and they don't have a ton of other you know super high caliber guys after that um, but he decided to go the bench six man rotation um, <laughs> route, and uh, okay, now I have to look. Actually, seventeen, seventeen, Baylor. So problem they... fouls. This is a good one too because they. I'm going to come back to Utah State. They um, last season marked the first time in five years that a team not named West Virginia posted the nation's highest number for opponent free throw rate. That team. Baylor, it is bad to foul that much when you play zone. End of discussion. <laughs> yeah, uh, all that's accurate. I'm, I'm, that's a good one. Yeah, that's interesting. Just because um, Baylor's interesting because if you just kind of bring up Baylor and you just like to a college, like you know, smart college basketball people, um, and you just kind of like talk about um, talk about kind of who they are as a team. I feel like their their defense is always what gets talked about. Um, the most where really it's like in 2015, they had a better offense than defense in 2016. They had a better offense than defense and it was drastic. Um, 2017, their defense was slightly better than their offense. 
Um, 2018, their defense was, was better than their offense. And in 2019, last year, their offense was way better than their defense. So um, what I'm saying is more often than not, they're actually like an offense first team. But I feel like everything that gets talked about them is their defense and their like zone kind of matchup zone they play. But it's like kind of funny because, yeah, everyone's going to, you know, you talk about any game that's that someone's going to play against Baylor. And it's like, oh, man, how are they going to handle that zone? How are they going to handle that defense? And it's like, wow, actually, they're pretty consistently putting up top 25 defense or sorry, top 25 offenses and their defenses have really fluctuated. But it's but hey, um, so, yeah, I will say this for people who are looking forward to the Florida game um, with Baylor, I would say, hey. Uh, just know that Baylor's actually a better offensive team than defensive team, no matter what the narrative that you're going to be uh, told is. There it is. Um, what was another one? Oh, here's Xavier. Uh, problem, defending. Uh, <laughs> can an extremely low foul rate be too much of a good thing? For Xavier, it can. Musketeer opponents hardly ever went to the line in conference play last season. Seen in isolation, this is a fantastic outcome. Then again, those same opponents have the highest field goal percentage against in Big East play. The sheer number of attempts Xavier allowed from the field in Big East play dropped an otherwise respectable defense to the bottom of the league. And Xavier was last in the Big East in turnover percentage. That's not good. If it, that actually is – those should reassure people that are worried about the Xavier upset in Charleston. Um, I don't think it's happening if they can't turn Florida over. Yeah, Xavier's a team that uh, is not historically very good defensively. Um, nope. another team that has had a little, like, yeah, even with, uh, uh, so, I mean, look, I'm just looking at their kind of advanced numbers now. Um, they were one of the worst teams I've ever seen in guarding the pick and roll. <laughs> so that's interesting. Um, and cause I think that they did, I mean, do, they, they still play a little bit of the pack line. That's, uh, that has yeah. kind of been known for there. So it is very interesting, to, but, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, so yeah, you look at it, they hedged ball screens a lot, like every good pack line team does, but they gave up a whole lot to, uh, to ball handlers and offense. Um, they have given up more shots, just like pure shot attempts to ball handlers than, um, I've ever seen quite frankly, and our ball handlers are shooting a really good percentage. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I would have to watch some more film leading into that one. Um, but yeah, a team that has, um, uh, it's really interesting. Their transition uh, defense is actually really, really, really good. And then their half court defense is, has been really, really poor. Um, but that's a team that uh, probably also doesn't have the firepower to play that poorly on defense. Uh, they don't, you know, they don't make enough shots to really uh, be able to, uh, to give up that many points defensively. So, um, you know, there's some games that, uh, yeah, obviously Florida is going to be on, Florida's going to be a favorite in a lot of games and are also playing a lot of, you know, like you, like you mentioned, Utah State, a team that's going to be a top 25 in that mix, and it's going to be on a neutral site. I mean, that's a game with some upset potential. Um, I do not see Xavier as a game with as much upset potential, for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, let's see. I mean, we're moving pretty quickly through these. Jeremy Wu released a piece yesterday night. Uh, his 10 preseason he, – he, he turned in his, uh, his preseason 10 Naismith list for the National Player of the Year. And uh, here are his 10 players. I'll just run through them real quick. Uh, 10, Sam Merrill, Utah State. There he is. 21 points, four assists, four rebounds a game. Shot 53% on twos, 37 on three, 91 at the free throw line. Led the nation in assist rate. That's pretty good. Um, Yeah, uh, he's good. Yes, uh, just again to see that he put up that had the best assist rate while also putting up tons of points, and uh, <laughs> you know not 
you know, in, in a pretty good league. I mean, obviously not a power league, yeah, not but, a it's, bad league. but it's not like Murray State or, you know, just that made that sound like that was a slight towards John Ranch. It wasn't meant to be, but um, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, it's, he's legitimately very good. And I think he's deserving to be in that, uh, that picture. Nine was uh, James Wiseman, the freshman from Memphis. Uh, you saw Penny Hardaway predicted Memphis will win the national title. So, uh, you know, I like that they're, they're confident over there. Um, <laughs> Marcus Howard at eight from Marquette. People just love scorers, right? Oh yeah. It's like, oh, he could score like 30 points a game. So he's got to be on the list. Uh, Miles Powell at seven. I would have had him higher. Um, that's a Seton Hall senior. He's, he's marvelous. I am not a Miles Powell guy. There's oh, my this thing. is awesome. Yeah, I, I podcast just, throwdown. Yeah, no, I just um, like even again talking with a guy that's that's in his league. Obviously, like like I think Marcus Howard is a better player. Clearly, I think he's just more efficient and um, sizzling. But I, uh, yeah, I just I, I see the love for for Howard, and he he puts up the numbers, and and for that reason, I I certainly understand it. Um, but yeah, not a not a big Miles Powell guy. Okay, okay. What what do you think is the matter with with uh... Pal, you just only do you not like volume shooters? Um, I I just think like I like <laughs> the the problem is probably the fact that he you know when you're a volume shooter on a team that doesn't win, it probably just like makes it look you know what I mean like volume. I think like I'm probably a bit sure like um, Marquette wins more, so you're you're okay with Howard a little more. Yeah, I think so, but I um I don't know. I just every every time I watch him play, it's just his his shot selection is is just so poor that I just feel like. And his numbers are, are not super bad, but uh, I kind of, and I, I appreciate the mindset a little bit. He's a guy who did step up to some big games, but just uh, ultimately I just like see him as a little Westbrookie. And I just don't think uh, like there's games. He just put up really good numbers even, or like, de- like decent efficiency. And then it got to the last two minutes and he just drove the ball into traffic and turned it over. And I just feel like he just, um, just the games I watched, I, I just don't think he played his best basketball when the team needed it. And I just, uh, you know, Seton Hall is, has not really won under his, his style of play where there are a lot of volume shooters at, at the similar level that, that have been able to have success doing that. So, um, yeah, I, I would say, uh, I, yeah, I think Marcus Howard is just a perfect example of someone I think is a little bit better playing in the same league and being a little just slightly lower than him on the, on the list. So the reason I like, and Eric's going to know why I like Powell better. Because Marcus, I don't think Marcus Howard plays any defense. Yeah. <laughs> And like Miles Powell was second in the Big East in steals, and he can guard your best guy on the perimeter, and like gets after it defensively. I, I don't like his shot selection too much either. I also wonder how much of that is like Kevin Willard just being like, all right, let's space the floor, and Miles can go and get a shot. Mm. Right? Like I'm not sure. Like some of it, I feel like is probably coached. Um. But but in terms of in terms of just what he offers on both sides of the floor, like I really like him. So that's kind of my my brief Miles Powell defense. Um, six Trey Jones, nope, nope. Five, Kerry Blackshear Jr. Florida. Yeah, that, I was interested if he was going to make the uh, uh, make an appearance here, and I, I really do think. Um... Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting. He doesn't have the same opportunity to put up just like amazing numbers that some of these other guys will just cause Florida is going to be um, pretty good. And if you're, 
I mean, you know, Marcus Howard, something against his case will be the fact that the Hauser brothers, uh, as soon as Mar- as soon as Marcus Howard decided he was coming back to school, the Hauser brothers, who were the next, you know, the two and third, second and third best players on the team, decided to transfer out. Um, so that's, that shows what they think about the chucking of Marcus Howard. Um, but yeah, but uh, you just look at some of these guys. I mean, uh, Seton Hall will be a little bit better. I mean, but, uh, but you know, Powell's going to have a, a chance to, um, he's still going to put up just, you know, tons of shots. So uh, Blackshear won't be able to do that. But I, I do think if Florida is truly in the mix for, um, you, like, if you just like all season long, they're a top five team in the AP poll and are just in that mix and win the SEC. And if like Gary Blackshear is, is Florida's best player. Um, I, I think he's got to kind of warrant that uh, that mix. I, I will say this to you. I, I'm interested in what you say. Do you think that Kerry Blackshear is going to be the best player on the Gators this year? I do because I think they're going to run their offense through him as the as the like the the fulcrum, right? Like I think I think they'll go inside out way more than they have historically under White. And I think because and I think some of that is just because he's such a good passer. And he has nice, big, soft hands, which can really uh, make make life so much easier on on Andrew Nimard. So I think, um, you know, Nimard is going to get a lot of credit for that and should. But some of it is also like about Kerry Blackshear being really good. Yeah, I, I do think he's going to be the most uh, the most valuable Gator, the best Gator. And I do think in perception, like, like Andrew Nimard, I don't think is ever going to get the kind of credit he deserves um, just because he doesn't put up the raw numbers. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that, yeah, you see, uh, once again, there's reason that Trey Jones is on people's watch list is because they think Duke's going to be good and, and Trey Jones is going to be their best player. Um, I don't think Duke is going to be as good as people think, um, but Trey Jones could be their best player. Um, but yeah, Kerry Blackshear is, uh, you know, the best, the best player on the Gators unquestionably and the Gators are good. He's going to be in the mix. Four was, uh, Cole Anthony and he kind of notes that, you know, even more than Kobe White, like this is kind of an unusual level of skilled one and done for Roy Williams. Like, not that North Carolina doesn't get one and dones like that, but we we know that Roy's formula for his national championships at North Carolina has been to be a little older. Yeah, I just you know it's a guy like like you were saying he is a different level than um, than Roy Williams usually has, but he's someone who hasn't often leaned on freshmen super super hard. And um, I also think Anthony Edwards is better than Cole Anthony. So while we're talking, you know, guards. Yeah, so, so do I, by the way. I, I see. I, I, I mean, once again, maybe this isn't just the fairest comparison just to go to, but I see Anthony Edwards. I think he's a better player who's going to be in a situation where he can put up more points and more shots. And um, I just, I think he's a lot more efficient. Just everything I've seen is that Anthony Edwards is a better player than Cole Anthony. I also think that they're comparable in the way that they play. And for that reason, I just see Cole Anthony that high. And I, I just don't think it's, I, I don't personally like it, but I also know, hey, it's it can be tough to kind of rank these guys that haven't played in college yet. Yeah, this uh, top three um, are three of my favorite players in the sport. Uh, Devin Dotson coming in at third. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, once again a really good team, and he's going to be the their best player, I think. It'll just be a, it'll be interesting what kind of step uh, he takes. Uh, kind of had some streaky shooting, but uh, generally speaking, I think he's a very good player in a, in a good system. So I could see him getting in that uh, in that picture. Yeah, and you could see why like him and Andrew Nimhart got along so well in recruiting. Like they, they both kind of are accountable, and and you know they strike me as 
as like a cannibal, like win team first type kids that also are fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that'll be another team with potentially some distractions, but um, at the same time, if they win, despite the distractions, I think that Devin Dodson's just going to get even more credit. Uh, two, Jordan Nora, Louisville. Uh, he's awesome. He's, he's a really good player. Um, I don't know if Louisville, Louisville is kind of, you know, I don't know where uh, our man Jason Kessler is these days, uh, but but if you're out there, Jason, I know that, you know, this one's for you because it's pretty interesting that I think the team with the most preseason expectations other than Florida that, like, wasn't, you know, quite where they they wanted to be last year is Chris Mack and Louisville. And Jordan Nora is probably, like, the guy for them. Yeah, I mean, if I was a, a betting man, I think Jordan Nora is someone who I would bet on. I, I just think that uh, as one of the older players on the list and someone who – uh, has just like you were talking about guys who can get it done on both sides of the floor. Um, he's someone who can do yeah. that. Um, still in a really good, you know, that's going to be a really good team. Like I, I think the mix of like really good team, someone who's a known, like, you know, a known commodity, a name that a lot of college basketball fans know, obviously um, just everything points to Jordan war being in a good situation to, to win player of the year. So I, I think that would be my pick to be honest. And um, yeah, just a player I, I really like. Yeah, and he's a guy that, like Nimhard, you know, had a huge, valuable summer competing against NBA talent um, for Nigeria at the World Cup. And and the other thing about him, so I think that's valuable. And then the other thing about him is just, like, the basketball piece of it. Like, Eric and I have been beating the uh, – we've been beating the – it's a wing-dominated game, and, and he's just such a difficult matchup, right? Because he can yeah, shoot Yeah, the other thing, too, about from a counting number standpoint that I'm going to be – like. I think the bottom of this is something me and Neil also talk about for the podcast, but I think the bottom of the ACC is really, really, really weak. And I think that he's going to have a lot of games. Like, obviously, yes, you're going to have some really tough games in the ACC and he's proven he can play against those teams, but he's also going to have games against Georgia tech and wake forest and Virginia tech uh, and Boston college that he's just going to be able to like really go off and put up some counting numbers. Like, um, you look at some like like someone in the SEC playing yeah. for you know Kerry Blackshear is not going to have those like games where he can just like bully weak guys. He's not going to have them in conference. Jordan Nuora is going to dominate some of these teams. So uh, while he's so he's going to have the opportunity to be like he's going to have those games where you're like oh man like look how Jordan Nuora played against Duke or North Carolina like that's where he re- like kind of those like marquee kind of showcase games where he shows that he's at the high level. And then you're going to be like, wow, he just scored, you know, 29 points against Boston college and 28 against Georgia tech and 31 against wake. So he's going to be able to put up some of those like counting numbers. And yeah, I just think everything's pointed towards him having a big year. Yeah, no, I like, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that, that, you know, for the college basketball junkies is like appointment television. Like when I can watch him in Louisville. Yeah, that would be a team that people should definitely try to watch. And uh, it's it's, once again, I mean, this is a year that Florida's hopefully making a really deep NCAA tournament run. So, yeah, you should start watching these teams that they might see. Watch them all. The number one player. Yeah, another uh, another safe one, I would say, in a a situation where, um, yeah, where he's going to (laughs) be featured. So. Uh, I think you're probably going to see Cassie Swinson on everyone's list as either the number one or number two player and um, for good reason. And he also, again, fits the profile of, you know, older college player. And that is uh, uh, normally won these player of the year things. So uh, I'd say that's fair. And he's probably one of the reasons that AJ Hoggard really wanted to go to, uh, to Michigan state. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this about Cassius Swinson is Naismith award though. 
How much does a healthy Josh Langford hurt uh, Kansas City? I would say not a lot in my mind, just because uh, just because of how much Michigan State plays in that like transition and, and kind of early offense. And it's always going to be Cassius Winston um, pushing the ball. I think even having, you know, Langford running the wing with him and to attract more attention, I, I almost think that's going to – I shouldn't say – I don't know. I could say help him for sure. I, I, I don't think it's going to really hurt him, to be honest, though. Uh, he does. He definitely doesn't have the uh, the unquestioned green light of a Marcus Howard or a, or a Miles Powell, but uh, um, yeah. So I, I don't think it would really affect him. I, I suppose, though it yeah, certainly could. There it is. That's a that's a good answer. I think. Um, so I did. I guess we'll close with the fact that astonishingly, we're only. As we record, we're under six weeks from the Charleston Classic. And so I got Street and Smith's um, college basketball preview today, which it's actually pretty good because it, it, there's like 300-plus teams in college basketball, and it at least gives you a page on every one of them, um, which, you know, I kind of appreciate that. Um, so Florida's first game is against St. Joseph's at that tournament. And that's really – obviously, that's the only opponent we really know about. I thought it was really interesting that – you know, I knew that they were, had fired their athletic director and that they had fired their longtime legendary head coach. I guess they let him resign, right, Eric? Um, and so now they've got uh, Billy Lang, who comes from the 76ers and takes over this kind of storied mid-major program. They're picked dead last in the Atlantic 10. Like, yeah, they're I, bad. Uh... I went to do uh, an article just about some of the best players that Florida is going to face this year. Uh, went looking at each of the rosters just to see if there's any of those kind of like mid-major gems. Um, one was not found on St. Joseph. So um, once again, not on my list of games that I think Florida may lose. Um, may not, not upset watch, I suppose. It's interesting. Their five-year win trend is, um, you know, 21, 16, 11, um, so, and no, sorry, I, I, I went the wrong way. 23, 28, and then listen to the last three years, 11, 16, 11. Hmm. So t- tough times, tough times on Hawk Hill. And like, it's so weird to think that cause like, this is a mid-major that, you know, really in the, I don't want to say the modern era in the last 25 years, they were really the first mid-major to be like, Hey, we're going to, yeah, those, uh, those, uh, those Philadelphia schools and area, those have kind of taken some hits recently, generally. So, uh, they, of, of yeah, course, when they're already one tough. of the smaller names of the area, that's, um, yeah, has not fared well. So that is, uh, not a marquee matchup, but Hey, a nice one to, to start off the, uh, Charleston classic. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's there, it's there for you. Um, you know, we'll do the other because that the Florida quadrant is kind of interesting. But so Missouri State was kind of a tough team last year, um, or at least I recall that, that they were. And that is true because, um, at least on paper, it appears to be true. This is the second publication where I've seen Missouri State pick to win the Missouri Valley Conference, which is traditionally a pretty good mid-major league. Um, they're going to play Miami, who I don't think is great. Like, I actually think there's a decent chance Florida plays Missouri There State is. They've got Gage Prim, who uh, was the number two Juco player in the country, um, which is, like, really interesting because uh, he was someone who everyone went after. 
Um, and he just you know, had a relationship with an assistant there since uh, for a long time. And uh, he went to Missouri State. So they've got someone who, uh, yeah, they've got a power. For, and he's, I mean, he's a big, big power forward at 6'9", and someone who could have played at a lot of high majors, and he's at Missouri State. So um, you also look at that from a, from a Miami standpoint, and that's going to create problems, especially if, uh, you know, it's, it, is Keith Stone going to be there playing the small ball against, against Gage Prim? Maybe not. So uh, some matchup problems, and, yeah, there's a good chance that, uh, that they do see Missouri State, and that would be, uh, yeah, it would be, be a little different of an opponent for sure. I don't know if they've ever played Missouri State. Uh, but, yeah, that, that, that is a game on upset a watch. Um, you know, before they play Florida, you know, to see if, uh, if they can beat Miami. So Dana Ford was a longtime member of Greg Marshall's staff, their head coach at Wichita State. Everybody respects Wichita State. And Dana Ford was kind of his number two for, for quite a while. And, yeah, I mean, they won – they went 16-16 and 16 last year, but they won eight of their last nine games. They, they didn't lose until the conference tournament, so they were kind of finishing the right way. And then what he's done is – uh you know, kind of if they built with transfers while also Hall or Ford is now recruiting well. So like another player that you didn't mention that they have is uh, Tulio De Silva, who, who came from South Florida, which is a pretty good program actually. And um, De Silva is, is a guy that's, that's really good. I mean, like, you know, he was 14 and seven last year. Yeah. And they've got, uh, they have two three stars committed this year. And, uh, not like uh, cheap three stars too. Like Ford Cooper is uh, he's someone I saw who was like in the one fifty range. Um, so I mean that's someone and uh, yeah, I, and I saw uh, he played in Charlotte and I think a pretty good, uh, um, pretty good high school league. So I kind of heard his name there. And then they've got another three star who I know nothing about, but I mean he's a three star and two hundred thirty fourth. I've now googled um, Tyam Freeman. So yeah, they've got some uh, they've got some guys and uh, uh, for that reason, yeah. We're just talking about it like it's going to happen for sure. I love it. I love it. Lock it in. Florida is going to play Missouri State in Charleston. That'll be. I love it. See, and that's what's good. No, and you know, if Kessler is listening, he knows that Keith Stone is going to hit a fallaway <laughs> three pointer to beat Missouri State at the buzzer and set up Miami and the Gators. Um, you know, it is great to hear that, that Stoney's out there. And that game could be really like Ding Gat plays for Miami too. So, like, there's a lot of family that would be involved in, in that game. Harlan Beverly, I think, went to Miami, right? Florida yeah, him, that so. would, it, I mean, it's always fun to play the NCAA, even if it's going to be in Charleston. So it's not like I don't want them to play uh, <laughs> Miami. I just like, you know, if we're doing our Charleston bracketology, I would, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd pencil in Missouri State here just to be a little, <laughs> be a little interesting. I love it. So I wanted to run through, and we'll close with the SEC. Like, Street and Sess take on the SEC is pretty – pretty vanilla um and i'm not you know i mean i'm sure the writing is fine i haven't looked through all of it but i but their standings were pretty vanilla to me they had george a little high they had the dogs finishing seventh i don't think they're quite seventh material um they had alabama finishing eighth i think that's a little low they had tennessee finishing fifth i think that's high uh so here are their sec standings vanderbilt in last texas a&m 13th missouri 12th Arkansas, space and pace. Uh, they're going to space and pace their way to 11th. Um, South Carolina, 10. Uh, Frank Martin will probably punch them in the face for that prediction, considering he finished fourth with that pile of trash that they fielded last year. Um, <laughs> uh, nine, Mississippi State. Eight, Alabama. Seven, Georgia. 
uh, six, Ole Miss, five, Tennessee, four, LSU, three, Auburn, two, the Gators, one, the Cats. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, pretty vanilla. I, I actually was higher on Alabama like you were. But, uh, yeah, they just – their injuries, they had a really good Juco transfer named James Rojas. Rojas, who uh, got injured, like, the week he got to Alabama, which really sucks for him. So, he got in the injury. He's out for the year. And then last week, uh, Juwan Gary, who's a four-star top 100 player. Um, he's a, he was a freshman, but he just got injured. He's out for the year. He tore his ACL. So, so with – Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, they, so they've had two guys who player. I would have thought were in their kind of top seven get injured. And uh, uh, But, I mean – um, I love, uh, I love Kyra Lewis. So I, I, they might, and I, you know, I, I'm still not entirely sold, you know, ta- as we've talked about Nate Oates and his, um, his really up-tempo style of basketball that just has not been proven to work super well at the power five level um, to institute that in year one. Um, yeah. I, 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 I probably am. I kind of like between, I was talking myself out of out being high in Alabama a little bit and then the injuries happen. And for that reason, I, which at this end, I mean, I, these injuries probably would have happened, um, after this publication was maybe, I don't know when it came out, but anyway, so that's, um, that's understandable. And, you know, uh, Arkansas, yes, I, uh, I, I can go off on Musselman, you know, whenever, so maybe we'll save it for conference, but, um, yeah, I would say that's, uh, that's how a lot of people have things shaken out, but Hey, I still think, uh, you know, you line up these Florida Kentucky rosters. I, I really like Florida's. So, uh, and I know people can, you know, call me home or whatever, but Hey, I, I think you just kind of go player by player. Um, you go kind of the, the variety of skill sets Florida has versus the uh, maybe a little more one dimensional kind of style of Kentucky. And uh, Hey, I'm looking forward to the game being played. <laughs> yeah, no, I think the, I mean, the main qualms I had I, again, and this will be interesting because I'm going to let, I, I want Eric to fill out the Florida basketball, our SEC media, SEC standings, you know, ballot with me. Like, I think we should do it collectively. And so it sounds like Eric and I are going to have a debate over Alabama. Like, I really like the, the mm-hmm. grad transfer piece, Beetle Bolden. I think it adds like a leadership stability piece to them that, that, you know, will make them tougher. It's going to make, you know, those Buffalo teams, like their defensive numbers were okay. Like Bolden can kind of bring some toughness that I think Alabama lacked a little bit last year unless they were just in the mood to play defense, they sometimes didn't, as we saw in the Florida game. Um, you know, I think both of us are kind of not as high on Tennessee as a lot of people. The one that's really interesting to me is Auburn, like because I agree with Eric on Florida, Kentucky. Like, I'll just flip them. Um, but but Auburn, like, I love, you know, we, we all, you know, trust Bruce Pearl to get the most out of his players. Uh, but what – you know, it's just a different role for Samir Dowdy, isn't it? Like, it's kind of like when he played 15, 16 minutes, like they kind of knew what they wanted him to do. And now it's like, it's your show. And yeah, I think that, I think that they're a lot. team that's um, probably, I think they're built pretty well to, to win league games. Um, I still think they've got kind of some of that talent. I, I'm not sure how I feel kind of tournament wise, but uh, tournament I also wise. really do like, I do like, uh, you know, they've got a yeah, massive recruiting class. Um, but there's, there are like two guys I really like in just, uh, Isaac Okaro, which is like, he was like a fringy five-star guy and he plays a wing. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Turbo Jones, a guard that Florida had some interest in. Um, I think they're going to get some good production from them. And, and you know what, I, I don't know the rest of their guys, but they have another four-star and then just like a host of, of kind of three-star and a, uh, a really, a really good Juco. Well, uh, I, it's a Juco. I, you know, this is the year I've actually paid attention to junior college, but I don't know this guy. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> 
between their like they they've just got like a very good assortment mixed bag of recruits this year um that I just feel like you know like you were mentioning about how he gets the best out of his guys he just got so many newcomers that I also I just feel like he's gonna find a couple of those guys that can contribute and while their returners aren't like super special um they were you know good good solid SEC players so yeah, I, I'm pro. Well, I'm like cautiously optimistic on them, but I do think that their ceiling is is not particularly high. Right, like I don't. I think they'll be pretty darn good. I don't know if that's first round no. buy at the SEC tournament. Good, I guess it's kind of the point I'm making. Like I don't know I, if they're top three in the so. SEC. You know, like I think LSU is definitively better than them, and it's weird to put LSU behind them unless the you know the NCAA shoe drops and yeah. LSU just crumbles. Yeah, that, but, that, you know, who knows? Georgia is like, but but like Auburn, like it's weird that I'm, you know, I just think that the Claxton thing is such a big deal because like with him, I loved, I love their recruiting class beyond Edwards. Like we've talked about it on the show. I think we talked about Georgia. Like it's not just Edwards. Like they've got some dudes coming in, but. But I think, you know, it's just so – it's going to be interesting. Like, Rayshon Hammonds is going to have to be really, really good or else they're still going to be kind of, like, all relying yeah, I, on freshmen. Yeah, I do offense. think Anthony Edwards is – like, if I were to bank on – like, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not going to say he's like Trey Young come in as a freshman and just explode. But, if like, if there was ever a team to – or ever a guy, I should say, that I think could come on the scene and – like really be a really valuable contributor and lead a team as a freshman. I think it's Anthony Edwards. So, so there is a chance there, but yeah, you just look around. They, um, I wish they had some better role guys that kind of fit to, to surround Anthony Edwards with, and I just don't think they're quite there. So I'm not super high. And yeah, uh, talking about, you know, Auburn being ahead of LSU, it's just kind of funny that like, yeah, if they think the NCAA shoe is going to drop, that is going to hurt LSU, but somehow not hurt Auburn. I'm not sure that'll be the case. Yeah, no, and then the last one was Tennessee. I mean, we've we'll, we'll get more into this on the show, but I, you know, the Blackshear miss was a huge deal for them. Um, that just, you know, you're replacing two of the more legendary players in the history of your program, and, and quite honestly, like your bigs are John Fulkerson, and yeah, I mean, there, there's your bigs, Eve Pons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They- <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. I like I look. I love Josiah James. I think he's going to be special. Um, you know, I'm not. I, I think Eric and I are pretty much in agreement. Like, I'm not super high on Lamonte Turner, although like he can, he can get hot. Um, you know, I don't know, man. I I think you you lose your best guard. Like, I just not. I don't know. I don't know. I I actually think they that that's a team that. Like, but for Rick Barnes, I wouldn't be stunned. Yeah, I, I think that they, uh, yeah, I, I do think that, uh, I think that they've got enough time. I, I, I don't mind Lamonte Turner. I think he's pretty good, but like not once again, is, is he going to power you to a, the top of the SEC? Definitely not. So uh, I think they'll be like a upper middle of the pack team, I suppose, kind of in that. That's six ish range, six, seven range. Like right, I, six, seven range, I was just kind of thinking in my head versus them or, like yeah, Florida kind of was a mix this past between year. them and, uh, and Alabama, who I have more. But um, yeah, it's a team that I'm definitely uh, looking. I, I honestly think too, like they had the opportunity that they're kind of in the mix for a bunch of graduate transfers and then just kind of or uh, true transfers and then just kind of like bailed out. And I think they are just like like they they've got a bunch of really good recruits for 2020, and I think he just wants to like 
keep scholarships open and be ready to uh, ready to really load up for 2020. So uh, I do think this will be a down year for Tennessee, but yeah, they've got some really good recruits for 2020. Yeah. I mean, you know, it could be, it could be one of those Florida was the eight seed in the SEC tournament last year. And like, I kind of see Tennessee as that like, and you know, it doesn't mean that Tennessee couldn't beat the one seed in the SEC tournament on in one game next, next March. But I, I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be some hard, like, I think this Tennessee team might beat somebody really good at home, maybe Florida, um, you know, but I don't know. I, I don't know how well that team will travel. With no yeah, coach. I don't mind Fulkerson as a, <laughs> as a decent, like, I don't know. He's one of those guys that like, he just like frustrates you sometimes where he gets like three offensive rebounds in a row, but isn't particularly dynamic and um, isn't going to go get his own offense on the block and um in an offense where they really were trying to feed it down low and run things from there it'll be interesting to see even just if they adapt or not yeah well the good news is that they run a really good offense so they'll, they'll probably figure out ways to score some points um so that's our show this week uh we will be back in another week and we'll talk about basketball things we have some pretty interesting uh stuff about what were we gonna uh, talk about we'll, we'll find out i <laughs> we no i don't oh, know the, yeah, we oh, in, eric yeah, wrote an yeah, article like outs. a month ago that we're time out usage yeah so we're gonna talk we're gonna have like coach's corner where we talk about timeout usage um maybe we'll get into some baseline out of bounds stuff and like why florida's so good at it because i think I think there's been some discussion of that where people are like, can you explain what's going on? And we did like a listener question segment on it, but not a whole show or not a, like a whole segment on it. So like, we'll, we'll get into some like basketball heavy stuff. And as preseason hype pieces come filtering out, uh, thanks for the suggestion, Sarah and Tampa with the suggestion that we like cover some of these. So like, yeah, we'll keep our eyes open for, for random hot takes that we can either agree with or yeah that sounds like a good show i'm looking forward to it all right everybody thank you for uh thanks for joining us and and uh go gators saturday night in uh, baton rouge